0: The following podcast is going to contain spoilers. You know, just saying. Consider yourself warned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stephen or else podcast, the show that is perfectly happy to not have a magic word that grants superpowers, as it all just sounds exhausting. I'm your host, Steven, and this week sees the first of my Origins episodes. What's an Origins episode? Okay, you've dragged it out of me, I'll explain. You ever notice that many of the popular superheroes, like those that have been around for 30 years or so, that, you know, they've had their origins told more than once, and sometimes more than twice, and many times more than three times! Because over the years, as new generations start to become comic book fans, these origins are updated and retold. The basics typically stay the same, but changes are made all the same. Well, that's what I want to talk about. I'm going to pick a superhero, and we'll talk about their various origin stories. I may not be able to fit it all in into one episode. It's probably going to have to be spread out amongst many episodes and it's not going to be a regular thing it's not going to be every month you're going to get one of these episodes or every two weeks it's just whenever i am able to sit down and record something that's that's when you're going to get an episode and this week i'm going to do shazam but as i said some of these are going to be more than one part so this one is part one and then of course part two will come later So why did I choose Shazam? Did it have anything to do with the fact that there's currently a movie in the theater doing gangbusters? You bet your bottom dollar it is. That's right, this is me trying to latch on to trends. You know, I'll be honest with you, it actually, it does have something to do with that, but really what it has to do with is because the movie is in the theaters doing really, really well, they added just all kinds of Shazam books on Comixology Unlimited. And my history with Shazam is very sparse. The only books I have ever read in which Shazam was in was the Legends event that happened after Crisis on Infinite Earths. I believe he was in The Crisis because I did read that. But my biggest exposure to Captain Marvel, or who we now call Shazam, is from the Justice League books that Giffen and uh Giffen and that company did. The quote-unquote blah-ha-ha run of books. That is my only real exposure to Shazam. So I took this opportunity with all these books getting added to Comixology Unlimited and knowing that they weren't going to be around forever. Decided to go ahead and start reading, you know, reading up on Shazam. And when I did, of course, I said, okay, where do I start? And that's when I realized, just like most other superheroes, there are reboots. It's rebooted a number of times. And so that's that's where this whole idea started, and that's why I started with Shazam. So today, in this week's episode, we're going to talk about the original, the first origin story, which is back from February of 1940. It came out of Wiz Comics number two, and it was published by Fawcett Comics. This was written by Bill Parker, Pencils and Inks by C.C. Beck, and Colors by Bill Parker. Now, Wiz Comics was, like many of the books at the time, an anthology comic. Among The stories told in this issue were the origin of golden arrow the coming of spy smasher and then the dan dare tale seals of doom there were others but the one that's just that's just a a taste of what was in there and the one of course we're going to talk about is called introducing captain marvel now before we go any further let's talk about that name many of you are probably already aware of this. You probably already know this, but those who might not, the guy we call Shazam nowadays was originally called Captain Marvel. And he was somewhat similar to Superman. In fact, DC found him to basically be a complete ripoff and sued Fawcett for copyright infringement. Captain Marvel wasn't, however, the only superhero that DC went after as a Superman ripoff. Others included a character from Fox Feature Syndicate called Wonder Man and another Fawcett character, Masterman. Now when the suit was filed against Masterman, Fawcett ceased publication of the character and replaced him in Master Comics with Bulletman. But with Captain Marvel, Fawcett decided to put up a fight, which probably had something to do with the fact that Captain Marvel, by that point, had become the most popular superhero on the stands. In fact, and I found this quite interesting, while the lawsuit against Fawcett was still pending, a few things from the Captain Marvel strip began to appear in Superman comics. For example, Superman didn't fly originally, and I don't think Captain Marvel did either, at least in this first Tale. This, I didn't read anything beyond this issue number two, this introducing Captain Marvel, but he surely didn't fly in this. Uh, but he did fly before Superman. And as he became really popular, suddenly Superman was given the power of flight. Another example Lex Luthor was introduced into the book at this time. Luthor, if you're not aware, at least at this time, was a bald, mad scientist type and was very reminiscent of Dr. Savannah from Captain Marvel, who was also bald, and we'll talk about him in a bit. But really, I mean, to be honest with you, the only two similarities between the characters, well, three similarities. similarities—they were Both of them were bald, both of them were mad scientist type characters, and both of them were like the arch nemesis of our hero. Uh, otherwise... Dr. Savannah was kind of um, weak-looking and decrepit, whereas Lex Luthor just looked like a regular fit dude with a, a bald head. But still, I found that information quite interesting. So anyway, despite the fight... In 1953, Fawcett ceased publication of Captain Marvel, and then in 1972, sold the rights to the character to DC. So what does that have to do with the name? I'm getting there. Settle down. See, by the time they sold the character to DC, because they hadn't been publishing a Captain Marvel book in those 19 years... Marvel Comics had come along and created their own character named Captain Marvel, and then they owned the trademark to the title, meaning that when DC published any title featuring their Captain Marvel, while they could use the name within the book, they couldn't use the name in the title. So anytime they put out a Captain Marvel book in DC, they had to use the name Shazam in the title. And because every title for the character from that point on was called Shazam or had Shazam in the title, many people just assumed that Shazam was the character's name. And so when DC relaunched all of their properties with the New 52, the character's name was officially changed to Shazam. Now, the stories I'm going to be talking about here in these next few episodes of the Shazam Origins These all occurred before the name change, so I'm going to be referring to him as Captain Marvel. So let's not try to get that confused with Marvel's Captain Marvel. Okay, so Wiz Comics, issue number two, February 1940, introducing Captain Marvel. Let's talk about the book. It opens up, it's night. A young boy in a red T-shirt is out on the street selling newspapers. A strange man in a long coat and hat approaches the young boy, paper, sir. the boy says to the man, Why aren't you home in bed, son? The man asks, I have no home, sir. The boy says, I sleep in the subway station. It's warm there. Follow me. The man demands, so right off the bat, this almost looks like a <laughs> like a a pamphlet to warn kids about stranger danger, but no. Despite the creepiness of this shadowy man in the long coat and hat, despite the fact that it's nighttime and that the two are alone on the street, despite the fact that we can't even see this man's face and he demands, follow me, the boy follows. What's up with that? Okay, I know 1940 was a different time, but still. Is that a lesson you want to be throwing out to children that if you're just living on the streets and sleeping in subway stations and a strange man approaches you on the street and says, follow me, that maybe you should. And if you should, uh, great things will happen to you, because as we'll find out, great things happen to this boy. But. I'm going to just get beyond that. So they go down into the subway station, and there's a special train that that just slides in. It just roars up, big special train, and it's all painted up. It looks all psychedelic. I mean, it looks like something that the Beatles would ride around in and smoke dope on. And yet, again, the kid follows the stranger onto this train, and it roars off. The train reaches the end of the line and the two step out into a cavern. They go through a doorway into a massive stone room and along one wall are statues showing the seven deadly enemies of man, pride, envy, greed, hatred, selfishness, laziness. And I can't, I can't make out the last one and uh, didn't feel like looking it up, but it's the seven deadly sins. And you know what? Sorry church but I can't remember what that seventh one is. Um I'm trying to think of the movie 7 now. I'm trying to run that through my head. So we've got pride, envy, greed, hatred, selfishness, laziness. I don't I don't remember. At the other end of the room On a stone throne sits an old man with long white hair and a long white beard, and he's wearing long white robes. Above him, hanging by a thin fraying cord, is a massive block of stone, which we're apparently just supposed to ignore. "'Welcome, Billy Batson,' the old man says. "'How do you know my name?' the boy says. "'I know everything!' The old man says, I am Shazam! And with the name comes a crack of thunder and a bolt of lightning. At the same time, the man's name appears on the wall behind him. Each letter of his name corresponding with the first letter of a mythological legend. And then it shows the power they are known for. Solomon, wisdom. Hercules, strength. Atlas, stamina. Zeus, power, Achilles, courage, and Mercury, speed. The old man tells Billy that for 3,000 years, he has used the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury to battle the forces of evil. He then claps his hands and calls upon the power of the historama, which is like a movie playing on the wall next to them. And from it, Shazam has been watching Billy. Lots of creepiness in this story. So we got a stalker in a cave that Billy goes to see because a strange man on the street orders him to follow. A lot of creepiness so far. Anyway, Shazam watched Billy as Billy's uncle, whom Billy had gone to stay with after his parents died, kicked him out of the house to live on the streets, and he shows Billy that he'd only taken the boy in to get the money and bonds his father had left for Billy. He goes on to tell Billy that his time, Shazam's time, is up and that he must pass his powers on to Billy so that he may become Captain Marvel and take up the fight against evil. He then tells Billy to say his name. Billy shouts out Shazam and is immediately struck by a lightning bolt. But when the smoke clears, it's no longer Billy standing there, but Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel's suit is red with yellow accents. Billy Batson's shirt was red with yellow accents. That's not a coincidence. Not at all. I'm not really dropping any knowledge that anybody couldn't have figured out themselves. I'm just saying. So Shazam sends Captain Marvel on his way but tells him to say his name one last time. And when he does, there's another lightning strike. And Captain Marvel watches as that massive stone block that has been hanging above Shazam falls and crushes the old man. But before he can do anything about it, it's just something that he happens to just see as the lightning strikes. He suddenly finds himself back outside. He's now back as Billy. And he assumes that it was all a dream. The next morning, Billy is back out there selling papers. The headline in that edition that he's selling says, Mad scientist threatens U.S. radio system demands $50 million. And there's a little bit from the paper that you can read. It says, police are searching vainly for a phantom scientist who threatens to drive every broadcasting station off the air with his diabolical radio silencer unless he received $50 million by midnight tonight. That sounds pretty serious. So this phantom scientist The Phantom, as they refer to him later, has a radio silencer, and he's basically going to just turn off the radios. There's going to be no more radio from that point on. 240s gangster types buy a paper from Billy, and one says to the other, want to read about the boss, eh? The other one says, shut up, you fool. Come on, let's get going. This exchange, of course, rouses Billy's curiosity, and so he follows the two men. They go into the swanky Sky Tower Apartments building, and when Billy tries to follow, he's sent packing by the doorman. So Billy beats feet to Sterling Morris, head radio man, to warn him. The radio guy, however, doesn't believe him and sends him on his way, but not before Billy convinces Mr. Sterling Morris to give him a job as a radio announcer if he is able to catch the Phantom. So he changes back to Captain Marvel. He leaps from a building next to, to the Sky Tower apartments and he lands next to a window where luckily he sees the two thugs talking to a master Savannah on a television. Savannah tells the thugs that the money wasn't paid. So at midnight, they will drive every radio station off the air but midnight is just a few seconds away so captain marvel crashes through the window and takes out the thugs smashing the radio silencer and the progress by throwing one of the thugs into it savannah of course tells captain marvel we'll meet again captain marvel to which cap replies yes savannah we will meet again and when we do you will be behind prison walls or dead Whoa. Captain Marvel's not playing around. So Cap changes back into Billy, who calls Sterling Morris, who comes to see that the radio silencer is no more. And, of course, Billy gets the job as a radio announcer. All right, so that's the end. That's the that is that's the first Captain Marvel story. It is the origin of Captain Marvel. And the story itself, uh, you know, because it was written back in 1940, it is, of course— a little hokey. Now, I love the idea of a superhero with the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, the speed of Mercury. I love it. It's like the Justice League, just but it's just one guy. He can do it all. And I just think it's a, it's a wonderful idea. I love the idea. And frankly, I really like this character of Captain Marvel. The story, however, this original story, yes, it's hokey, but that was the time. This was a time when every action in every panel was narrated. I could have just read you the narration boxes and, you, and I would have told the entire story. So that, that's kind of hard to deal with. And a lot of it, it's weird because they would put the narration boxes underneath the action that's hat I don't know. I just found it. It was quaint. Let's just put it that way. It was quaint. The art, however, despite being from the 40s, was just simply wonderful. I just loved the art. I mean... The style that C.C. C. Beck had back then, it's still kind of in fashion. You still see a lot of artists kind of trying to to do that. Um, Chris Somney comes to mind. Now, he's got a more modern take on what C.C. C. Beck was doing, but it's that, it's that old classic 40s style, and I think C.C. C. Beck... I think it held up today. For me personally, I will see stuff like if I look at Action Comics number one and I look at that art and I go, oh, look at this hokey 19, this art, this hokey art from 1938. Oh, look at it. Isn't it silly looking? Look at it. Look how funny it looks. But this art I thought was just beautiful. It was wonderful. I could just read this guy's art forever. Forever and ever, forever and ever. So while it did come from the '40s and a lot of art at the time, you look at it now, it feels and looks dated. I didn't get that at all from this book, from this art. I didn't get it. Didn't feel dated at all. Yeah. Uh huh. So damn. Grab yeah, my as a box is when the I'll take you to the comic shop Boy venues are what i thought I'll keep spending all i got Keep reading till the series stops Whoa. You can have it your way How do you want it? Could wait for the trader. You could back issue on it Appeal rising as you go Head out to Dark Horse Reading Dr. Horrible Rooting for bad holes. I'll break it down for you now Baby it's simple If you reading X-Men I'm reading X-Men Witchblade, FF Uzagi Yojimbo Mainstream, Indie Whatever you into Got my eye on you I'm a strange doctor Have your friends teasing you About how nerdy I got you Want to test my geek knowledge? Girl no problem Like Batman's crime scenes Girl I'll solve them I'm a seasoned vet When it comes to this place They know be my name to give me birthday cake. I'm trying to explain, baby, the best way I can. It was a ton of iron fist, yeah, before Danny ran. Yeah. I'll take you yeah. to the comic shop. Show you all the bills I drop. When I grab my coolest box, wins is when the comics drop. Whoa. I'll take you to the comic shop. Boy bands are what I bought. I keep spending all I got. Keep reading. Okay, so I got one more origin story for you. You know, based on the title, that we're, this is only part one. This episode's only part one, so there will be more Shazam! origin stories in the future. But for this episode, I got one more for you. And it's called Shazam! The New Beginning. It was written by Roy and Dan Thomas. We had a number of artists on it. Tom Mandrake, Rick Stasi, Rick Magyar, and Jan Dersimma. We had a number of colorists on it, Carl Gafford, Joe Orlando, Nanny Houlihan, and Tom Ziuko. And then we had two letterers, Augustin Moss and Gene Semek. So this is a four-issue miniseries from 1987 that introduced Captain Marvel to the DC Universe following Crisis on Infinite Earths. Previously, he and the Marvel family, yes, there was more than just Captain Marvel, But unless they show up in any of these origin stories, I'm not touching on any of them. But they were all relegated to their own universe within the DC multiverse, and it was designated Earth-S. But with the crisis doing away with the multiverse, Captain Marvel was integrated into the now, at the time, one DC universe. And though he first appeared post-crisis in the Legends event, which I will get to eventually On event or else. This was his new updated for the time post-crisis origin. All right, so in the story, we open in San Francisco with a car crash. It's a lone car, a driver and a passenger. We don't see their faces. It's a rainy night, and they slam into a light pole. This and the whole book is narrated by 15-year-old Billy Batson, and this is Billy telling the story of how his parents died. He was with his uncle at the time, his father's brother, a stage magician named Dudley, and Billy's helping him with the card trick when the phone rings and Uncle Dudley is informed of the car accident. Now, Uncle Dudley is based on Uncle Marvel, so we are going to touch just briefly on the Marvel family here. Uncle Marvel was a crazy old man named Dudley H. Dudley, who claimed to be the uncle of Mary Marvel Billy's twin sister, who we won't meet till later on. Anyway, Dudley would dress up as one of the Marvels and he claimed to have their powers, but he was proven to be a liar. And, it, but you know what? I guess that the Marvels liked him so much and found him to be such a lovable old man that they agreed to let him stick around as the team manager. The more I research into these old Captain Marvel stories, because this is back when it was still Fawcett Comics back in the 40s, and the more I read about these old stories, uh, they're just freaking crazy sounding, and I really need to get my hands on some of these old stories and read them. Anyway, back to this story. We go to the funeral for his parents. Billy meets another uncle. It's his mother's brother, And it's Thaddeus Savannah. So in the original origin, Savannah is just this crazy mad scientist guy. But in the new reboot, he is Billy's uncle, his mother's brother. And he is just one creepy dude. And while Billy doesn't remember him at all, Uncle Dudley does. And you can tell that Uncle Dudley is not too fond of him. Soon after the funeral, both of the uncles are in court for a custody hearing. Who is going to be Billy's caretaker? Billy, of course, hopes that it's Dudley. But he's a minor, so he's forced to wait outside. And it's there, not outside, he's not outdoors. He's just out in the hallway. He's at the courthouse, he's out in the hallway. And it's out there that he meets his cousins. Savannah's children, Beautia and Magnificus. Wonderful names, These are two characters that also go way back, just like Dudley. Beautia first appeared in Wiz Comics number three and Magnificus in Wiz Comics number 15. So Beautia and Magnificus make Billy feel that it would be best for his uncle Dudley if he went to live with Savannah. They play on his guilt, telling him that Dudley would have to give up magic, his passion, to get a real job. So he could support Billy. So when the judge calls him into the courtroom so that she can hear Billy's opinion on the matter, he chooses Savannah thinking that he's doing the right thing. And of course, we find out very quickly that he did the wrong thing. Savannah, amazingly enough, we didn't see this coming. He turns out to be a colossal jerk. Once home, he points out a steel door and tells Billy he is never to go into that room. Then he shows Billy to his new room, and when Billy points out that it's just a storeroom, Savannah hits him. The next day, Billy is picked on by bullies at his new school. He stands up to them because his father had always told him that a bully will back down. A bully will respect you and back down if you stand up to them, but that didn't happen in this case, and he gets beaten up. He goes home to his new home to find that the steel door that he's not allowed to go through is open. And so he decides to give in to his curiosity and he goes in to check it out. The door opens up to like this big open staircase that looks out over a laboratory and Billy hides on the stairs and he listens to his uncle Savannah on the phone. Savannah is arguing with someone about parts that he'd ordered for a machine he's created to reach out to other dimensions, which saying that out loud sounds silly. It's like he's on the phone with Home Depot and he's like, hey, I ordered these parts for this machine that will allow me to open doors into another dimension. And I don't have them yet. Where are my parts? I ordered them. And so he's arguing on the phone. And he even brags at one point that he took custody of his nephew for the sole purpose of getting the $100,000 in death benefits from Billy's parents so that he could purchase these parts. And yet he still doesn't have them. And, of course, Billy hearing this runs away To his uncle Dudley's, but nobody's home. And according to his neighbor, Dudley is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So Billy, overcome with emotions, runs off into the night and trips over a garbage can, falling to the sidewalk in front of a gated entrance to a subway station on the very corner where his parents were killed. And he looks up, and there on the other side of the gate is a man in a long coat and hat. The shadowy man is pointing at Billy through the gate. It's very creepy. And in fact, here, I'm going to read you Billy's narration on this part. I couldn't see his face, but I could feel his eyes boring into me like two invisible drills. He didn't say anything, yet I knew somehow that he'd been waiting there for me, just for me. I knew it even before he opened the grating and motioned for me to come in. And weirder yet, I did. All right, so once again... Just like in the original story from Wiz Comics number two, Billy is met by a stranger in a hat and coat and is beckoned. Uh, in this case, the guy doesn't talk. He doesn't say, follow me, you know, like the other guy did. He just beckons with his hand, which is even creepier. Then the first guy, he just is, you know, I I can't show you an audio, but you just imagine somebody going, come with me, little child. It's just creepy. And for some reason, Billy follows him. And I guess they use this narration to make you, the reader, feel as if there's something mystical going on. Nothing sinister, but mystical and that Billy has no choice but to follow this man. And so Billy follows him down into the station. They board a train and the train takes them to Shazam. Billy sees the old man sitting there on his stone throne with the stone block above him, hanging by the frayed thread and immediately leaps into action to save the old man. But he's stopped by an invisible barrier. Now, much of the origin at this point is the same as what was in Wiz Comics number 2, but for a few things, I'll just go over these changes. When Billy changes into Captain Marvel, he is still Billy. In in the origin, they don't really touch on it much, but you get the idea that as Captain Marvel, while he still retains all of Billy's memories, he's, he's an adult. He doesn't think like a child. He's not Billy in an adult's body. You don't really get that from the first origin story. Here, you do. He's still Billy. He's just in an adult's body, And he says, holy moly. Shazam also speaks about a different Captain Marvel, referring to how it was before the crisis, and that he has to push that from his memory as it never happened. He doesn't say crisis, but you know that's what he's talking about. And it really kind of shows that Shazam, you know, just how powerful Shazam actually is to still have memories of the time before the crisis when pretty much nobody else does. Also, what's different is that Shazam shows Billy an image of Black Adam, who is an old villain that we don't meet in the first origin. And he tells him that, Cap- that uh, Black Adam is Captain Marvel's nemesis. We'll get into that just a bit later. But throughout all this, Billy is mostly concerned with the massive stone block and the thread that's holding it up. And he points out to Shazam that it's about to fall on him, But Shazam gives it no notice. But then the stone is about to fall. Billy tries to warn him, telling them to get out of the way. He actually says, don't you hear me, Shazam? But of course, saying the name causes Captain Marvel to change back into Billy. And he is now back on the sidewalk outside the subway station. And so that's like the original. But this time he retains his memories. He doesn't think that it was just a dream. And he actually changes back into Captain Marvel and flies down into the tunnel to Shazam's cavern only to find it walled up. We go from there to Savannah who is working with his machine. He's trying to open a portal to another dimension and he accomplishes his task and he pulls Black Adam into our world. Black Adam starts smashing up Savannah's lab and quickly makes it clear that he's going to be the one in charge while Savannah will be his lackey. Adam takes Savannah with him to get, just to get a look at Earth, the way it looks now. And as he's just gazing out over everything, he declares that he will rule the Earth and Savannah will be his slave. We cut to Billy who goes to the bus station to try to get a a ticket to Albuquerque so that he can go find his uncle, but he doesn't have enough money, but it's there that he runs into Beutia, and he's angry at her for tricking him into choosing Savannah over Dudley, and she actually feels pretty guilty about it, and so she pays for his ticket. Billy goes to Albuquerque, he finds his uncle Dudley, and he tells him everything, Tells him about Savannah, tells him about Shazam, tells him about Captain Marvel. He just lays it all out there. And now that he's found Uncle Dudley, he wants to go back to San Francisco and learn the truth about Savannah and the death of his parents. Uncle Dudley agrees to go back with him. And so he rides Captain Marvel like a horse back to San Francisco. Because he says, "Okay, well, let's go back. I'll see about getting us some plane tickets. And Billy says, you know what? I can fly. We don't need plane tickets. And he's flying back to to San Francisco, and Dudley's riding on his back like a horse, holding his suitcase. And there's even at one point where Billy says to himself, why didn't I think about this in regard to getting to Albuquerque? I could have flown to Albuquerque. Anyway... They don't go directly back to San Francisco. They need to stop on the way so that they can get some lunch. And they stop at a diner out in the middle of nowhere along the Nevada, California border. And they're sitting there at a bar at, you know, in the diner, they're at the bar, they're eating. There's a guy in a military uniform just sitting at the bar with them. There's only three people there, Billy Dudley and this dude in a military uniform. And another guy just rushes in and he runs up to the the other guy at the bar who is a general. And he tells him that there is a UFO closing in on Big Wig One. And the general tells him to keep it down because it's top secret news. And they both leave. Well, Billy thinks that this sounds like a job for Captain Marvel, so he leaves the diner, changes into Captain Marvel, and follows him. Big Wig One, we find out, is a jetliner, and when Billy tries to intercept it, Black Adam is there and he slams into him, and the two of them fight. Black Adam eventually uses the jet as a hostage, and Billy realizes that there's nothing more he can do without putting whomever is on board in harm's way, so he leaves. Later, Billy and Dudley arrive home, and Billy is still upset. He's still mad. He's still angry. He feels guilty that he had to let Black Adam go. They get into the apartment, and they catch a news story from KWHZ, or KWIZ, and it's about a mid-air hijacking of a government jetliner that was carrying 46 foreign dignitaries to the Western White House. The station was sent an ultimatum by a caller, who claimed responsibility for the hijacking. And while they can't divulge any more details, the person on the TV asks that anyone with additional information is to contact the station immediately. Billy realizes that this is the jetliner where he sees Black Adam. And so he wants to call in, but Dudley Dudley stops him. You know, Dudley is the voice of reason here. And he says, look, they're probably getting thousands of phone calls already from crackpots all over and really, there's not much you can tell them. You can't tell them where the jetliner is. So how about we just go to sleep and we'll we'll worry about it in the morning? And so they both go to bed. But later that night, Billy sneaks out and he goes to the TV station. He sneaks his way into the station manager's office and he tells her that he knows who took the jetliner, that he was an eyewitness and he describes what happened. And at first, she doesn't believe. Well, how, how could you be an eyewitness if you are on the ground? And he goes, oh, I guess I just got good eyesight. So she listens to his story and has him wait there in the office sitting on a couch while she does some paperwork, and he soon falls asleep. Set your phases to sexy. to hear voices in the other room and he creeps over to the door and he sees that they are in the outer office talking with the station manager is beautia and magnificus they're there to pick billy up so without being seen he changes into captain marvel and he flies out the window he flies back to the subway tunnel and hammers through the wall to find that the cavern is still there it's dark he calls out for the wizard Nobody comes. He finds a large brazier, and thinking that maybe he might want a little light, he starts a fire. And with the fire comes the ghost of Shazam, telling Billy that he can summon him any by lighting the brazier. But Billy wants to know about Black Adam, so Shazam tells him a little story. Tells him that many millennia ago, back in Egypt, back before the pyramids were built, Shazam was their protector. And yet... Even then, he was tired. Shazam in this book comes off as kind of lazy. He keeps talking about how he is the protector and he fights evil. But, you know, he gets really tired sometimes. He just, I'm so tired of being a protector. I'm tired of fighting evil. Uh, I got to give my power to somebody else. Granted, he does does it only twice in like uh, thousands of thousands of years. But still, comes off a little lazy. He, I love, I would love to be the protector of these people and fight evil, but you know what? It sounds like a lot of work. Um, and since I can give my power to somebody else, how about we just let somebody else do it? That's who Shazam comes off as in this book. Well, in this case, he chooses a guy named Teth Adam. He gives him all his power and what he does, he doesn't have the same, it's not the same legendary mythical figures that... Billy has when he's Captain Marvel. Okay, so here's what he gets. He gets the stamina of Shu, S-H-U, the swiftness of Heru, the strength of Amon, the wisdom of Zehuti, the power of Aton, and the courage of Mehen. Well, Black Adam... Teth Adam, he's not called Black Adam at this point, but Teth Adam uses the power to become a protector. They build the pyramids. But at one point, he just decides, you know what? I am better than all of these people. I am going to conquer the world, and I will rule this world. Shazam then comes back, and he banishes Black Adam another realm. And Shazam tells Billy that this realm that he sent Black Adam to was another dimension. And that's when Billy realizes that it was Savannah and his machine that brought Adam back. So he goes immediately to Savannah's house and he gets all up in the old man's face. What did you do? And Black Adam shows up and the epic brawl ensues. This spans five pages And it ends with Captain Marvel unconscious when Savannah zaps him with a shoulder mounted cannon that he calls his secret weapon. Adam decides at that point to use Savannah's machine to banish Captain Marvel to the other dimension that he calls Limbo. And then once that's done, he's going to destroy the machine. But first, you know, they got to wait for the machine to power up. Cause it, you can't just flip the switch and the machine works. You gotta wait for it to reach full power. And as they're waiting, a news report comes over the TV stating that the president has announced that he will not give in to the demands of the hijacker who took Big Wig One, which causes Savannah to fly into a rage. Cause apparently he really needed that money. Black Adam, on the other hand, Realizes that the world does not yet fear him and that if he crushes the jetliner with everyone on board, then maybe folk will understand that he's not someone to be trifled with. So he leaves to go do that, telling Savannah that when the machine is at full power, he's to send Captain Marvel into limbo and then he will be back to deal with the machine. After he's gone, Savannah decides he's going to try to make a deal with Captain Marvel. He tells him he's going to free him. But Captain Marvel has to protect Savannah. Cap tells him to stick it. Literally, he tells him to stick it. And so Savannah is about to throw the switch, which will send Captain Marvel into limbo when Dudley bursts in and throws a book at Savannah's head, knocking him to the ground. Savannah pulls a gun and shoots Dudley in the arm as Billy says, Shazam. See, Savannah has his back to Billy. And so Billy says, Shazam, as... He's firing the gun. So the sound of the gunshot masks the sound of the thunder and lightning. And the machine that Billy was strapped to, now that he's Billy, uh, the machine's too big for him. So he just slips out of his bonds. And he jumps on Savannah's back. Savannah hits Billy, knocking him to the ground. But Dudley is there once more punching Savannah in the side of the head. That's when Billy... In front of Savannah, so Savannah can see, turns into Captain Marvel. He leaves Dudley to call the police on Savannah and goes out to stop Black Adam. There is a three-page fight at this time that leads Black Adam back to the laboratory. Cap gets there first, so when Black Adam swoops in behind him, he finds Billy instead of Cap. Billy is standing with his back to the control panel of the machine, and he goads Black Adam into hitting him. And when Black Adam swings, Billy ducks, which causes Black Adam to hit the lever on the control panel, starting the machine, which sends him, Black Adam, back into limbo. I found this absolutely ridiculous. What a, what a crazy way to, to, to solve this problem. He, he, Basically, he defeats Black Adam as Billy and not as Captain Marvel, which is kind of a fun twist. But (laughs) he throws this punch at Billy, Billy ducks, and he just, he hits the lever with his fist. But rather than just tearing the lever, because he's super powerful, why didn't his fist tear the lever off of the machine and then his fist go through the, no, instead it just, his fist just, just, it just turns the machine on, just turns it on, and then the dude just, Bam, he's in limbo. I just I just found that quite silly. So Captain Marvel then leaves at that point. He goes back to get the jetliner, which Adam had hidden in a cavern under the ocean. And he pulls it to the surface. He changes back to Billy so that the people aboard the plane can see him. And he tells them that he used an invention that his uncle Savannah created to raise the plane. Then he sneaks off changes back to Captain Marvel. There's a lot of changing back and forth in this story. Then he flies to the nearest phone, and he calls the police to let them know where to find the jetliner. He then goes back to Savannah's home, and he smashes the machine, and then he finds out that Savannah escaped, to which Dudley felt he just feels pretty terrible about. He feels pretty guilty. But you know what? It's okay. They'll take care of Savannah later. A few days later, we learn that the K-Wiz station manager gave Billy a job as an on-air personality, and Billy's first report is him telling the story of how he rescued the people on Big Wig One. The whole story ends in Mexico, where Savannah is in hiding. He's drinking tequila in an old saloon, and, ha- and Billy's report plays on the TV behind him. He vows revenge to himself. He's thinking to himself, he's vowing revenge, but he knows that in order to do anything, he needs a new gimmick or maybe the right partner. And as he's saying that in his head, we close in on the bottle of tequila and the worm at the bottom, which we have to assume is the classic Captain Marvel villain, Mr. Mind, who is an alien worm with telepathic abilities. All right, so... Basically what they did with this story, they really kind of took all the basic elements from the original and they just updated it. They changed some things around. First of all, making Savannah his uncle rather than just some crazy guy who wants to uh, take all the radios off the air. They keep in the fact that his uncle only took him in to get the money from uh, his parents' death, but they tied that into... Uh, Captain Marvel's origin. That's, they, that's a big thing that they started to do is that you have all these characters that have, you know, you have somebody like Cap, we'll use Captain Marvel Shazam as an example. They have this character who, as the stories are being told, they introduce these new villains. But then when they go to reboot, they go to reboot these origins and they decide, okay, so here it is, Captain Marvel's, his two biggest villains, Black Adam and Savannah. We need to tie their, we need to tie them in to his origin so that they can make their, the, the villain more a part of who the hero is. They did that with, uh, the Tim Burton Batman movie by making the Joker, before he became the Joker, he was the guy that killed Bruce Wayne's parents. I understand the idea behind that. I get it. It makes the villain, it really makes the villain more a part of the story. He's not just some villain that they brought in, the villain of the month. It ties them together from the very beginning. At the same time, I just can't stand it. I hate it. You know, it's like, why do they have to always when they reboot these continuities make the villain part of their make that one villain the part of their their origin story again i get it i've already answered why they do it but for some reason while i get it and i think it works in some cases i just the 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 practice just bothers me for some reason it just bothers me it's basically what they're doing is they're saying okay so if i had the chance you know if if we're going to do this origin over again if i knew if i was the guy creating this character back then, if I knew then what I know now, what would I do differently? Well, the obvious choice would be let's take their main nemesis and have them be a villain straight from the get-go. Have them be part of the origin story. Have those two characters tied together right from the beginning. I get it. I understand it. But for some reason, it drives me crazy when they do it. Other than that... You know, they made a lot of changes. It was basically they just expanded on the origin. They kept a lot of the basics in there. They tied the villains in to his origin. In the original, he becomes a newspaper guy. In this one, he becomes a radio guy. Um, his age changes slightly. They don't really say it that I recall in the, in Wiz Comics number two, but I did find out online that he's supposed to be 12 at the time, whereas in this one, he's 15. We, of course, learn how his parents die in this origin, whereas in Wiz Comics, number two, all we know is that his parents have died. Yeah, and the story, I, okay, so I found the story fun. I thought it was a fun story. There were times I was rolling my eyes, like Black Adam punching the lever. I thought that was kind of silly. Um, But all in all, I actually prefer the Wiz Comics story over this one. If it, you know, When it comes down to it, if I had to choose between the two, I would choose that first one. Uh, the art in this story, not all that great. It's serviceable. It gets the job done. But it's, I hate to say, I hate to use the word bland, but it was pretty bland, especially when you compare it to C.C. Beck from back in the 40s. I mean, all in all, this is not a story I would suggest as a go-to Shazam book. It's probably... I would consider it a must-read if you want to know all the variations of Shazam and his origins. But honestly, that would be the only reason I would ever suggest reading it. I'm glad I read it because it gives me a little more insight into the character. But I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one. The first one consisted of a handful of pages. This was four books And I and and I enjoyed the first one better. Now, next in the next episode, it's not gonna be next week. I don't know when I'm gonna do part two, but when I do part two, it's gonna be we're gonna talk about the power of Shazam, which was a graphic novel, and it was by Jerry Ordway. This is one I enjoyed quite a bit, and I'm looking forward to that one. But until then, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the Stephen Orrell's podcast. It means a lot. I got it. I say it every time, and I'm going to keep saying it. Thank you for listening. I think you're all pretty awesome. You can email your questions and comments to stevenorelse at gmail.com. You can also leave a comment to the episode on the site. That's stevenorelse.com. You can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stevenorelse. And I also invite you to join me over at Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Stephen or else. You can also join my Patreon, and for as little as a dollar a month, be a supporter of the show you'll also have access to the exclusive my other podcast podcast which goes out every week and with rare exception is only available to my patrons so go on go forth to patreon.com slash r or make your pledge and find yourself a member of a larger world that's kind of a hokey thing to say if you do feel the need. If, if you would like to support me, but you don't want to do so monetarily, all I ask is just go out there and spread the word. Tell everybody about the show. The Stephen R. Else podcast is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find it over at comicspodcasts.com. The theme song for this episode is Worship by Trinity X. Find it and more music from the band at atomiczombierecords.bandcamp.com. The rest of the music comes from Kirby Crackle, Find them at kirbycracklemusic.com. And of course, all of those links will be in the show notes. So until next week, I'm Steven, and this has been my podcast. Be nice to each other. John! <gasps>